Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm in the studio with Rob Sheffield, Brendan Klinkenberg, Brittany Spanos, and Simon Vozik Levinson. That's all we could fit, actually. But we thought we would celebrate the year that just passed again by looking at the best albums of 2018. Before we get to an album by album sort of breakdown, we've done this before and usually we end up talking about what the uh, overall trends look like for the year. And one thing I'm curious about, where is the year that was 2018, especially in America, this insane year. Where are the sort of realities of 2018 reflected, if at all, in the music on this list? I'd be curious if anyone has any thoughts on that. I didn't see too much. Uh, the vast majority of like the pop albums weren't really engaging with the news cycle in that kind of way. Um, I also think that we haven't been in this moment for that long. I don't think the like great art of the Trump age is upon us just yet. I think mostly people are still looking to music to just be music. If someone like Drake, who's like the artist of the time right now, isn't going to like he's never been the kind of person to engage with what's going on in the world. He's kind of always giving you what's going on with Drake. And I think a lot of people are kind of following suit. Even someone like Kanye, who like is very much <laughs> commenting on what's going on in the world. The music doesn't really reflect that. He's really not getting too into it. If you watched him over the past year, kind of torch his own reputation. And then we're like, well, he better explicate all of this with his album. You were going to be very disappointed. There were no like coherent thoughts about what he was saying on record. No, I mean, I think I think you're right. I think in a lot of ways this year was about escapism. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the best records that we like presented in an alternate world where things sucked less and uh, were more enjoyable. And yeah, that's an important thing that pop can do. Yeah, and I think we saw that follow up um, from 2017 where we saw very immediate reactions, very kind of like visceral responses from people, some to a strong extent. We saw some really great albums that were very political and some didn't work. And so I think this year was... Again, like the escapism, a little bit more just like fun within the pop realm and things that weren't necessarily responding very literally to politics of the time. How about the state of the album as a whole? In the past couple of years as we've done this, we've had varying thoughts about where the album as an art form stands in this streaming world that's being made. What do these albums tell us about where the album as an art form is? I think uh, artists take albums more seriously now than they ever have. I think artists see the, the, the album as their, this is where I am this year as opposed to last year thing. So you think about mega blockbusters from this year, whether it's Drake Scorpion or Ariana's Sweetener, very much concept album-y kind of statements. For the most part, they see albums as the vehicle for transformation of this is who I am now as an artist as opposed to where I was last time. And artists take albums more seriously than ever, paradoxical as it may seem. Right. As, as Brendan kind of hinted, if you're Drake, it's like a state of the Drake address. That's, yeah. that, that's the whole point. Uh, and, th and I think that might be why this obsession with the idea of eras now uh, pop fans are they're always like, they deleted their Instagram. Is this the start of a new era? Which is corny, but I think that speaks to what you're talking about. There's a, yeah. there's a lot of talk about the death of the album, but it's mostly circling around like the business aspect, mm -hmm. not the artistic. I just think like just because the Drake singles get streamed more than Scorpion as a whole doesn't mean Drake didn't put a whole lot of work into making Scorpion a side A and side B album. Yeah, I think really what's going on is we're like quantifying what people actually listen to a little better. And where if you liked a single on the radio, you would go buy the CD at Target. And therefore, everyone was like, good album. Now we're seeing exactly what songs people listen to. And it's causing a lot of hand-wringing. But I think that that was the way people always listen to albums. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's probably a danger in like 
over constantly focusing on this new data that we have because we didn't always have it. And there's something, it's so fascinating, but maybe as we get used to having it, we can sometimes just put it aside. Rob Sheffield has this amazing idea, which is that we should maybe start going through these lists, starting with number one, <laughs> uh, which is very interesting. I, I, you know, it's, it's a radical idea, but I, th I think we can do it. There's a bunch of these albums that are, you know, if you're a listener to this show, you've heard a lot of talk about. So we'll, we'll try not to belabor the ones you've heard a lot about but you know the albums of the year are the albums of the year cardi b invasion of privacy was the number one album of the year according to rolling stone and i mean it's really interesting i mean it also was uh, an incredibly popular album it isn't the kind of like traditional quote-unquote critics pick that you might associate with the number one on a list like rolling stones and i think it's it's pretty interesting that we chose something like this so what was the thinking behind that i know simon was a big advocate among others yeah i mean the the thinking behind it i think is that cardi made an incredibly cohesive back to front enjoyable album which is something that a lot of bigger and more famous artists have not been able to do in the last few years uh you can play invasion of privacy in it's like a tight you know 45 minutes uh you never want to hit skip or turn it off her force of personality is so strong and so consistent uh it's just the most fun album to listen to that came out in 2018 you know fair enough you know we are in a new era and uh it's uh it's, it's a little bit of a statement for us as well and it follows through uh, the entire rest of the list i don't know if we need to play any cardi b because we again we've been doing that all year but we'll, we'll <laughs> and, go and we'll keep doing it, it yeah. it's amazing like i think part of what's made it such an influential record funny in terms of like almost instant influences just that it's a it's a record made by a great pop fan who's a really shameless pop fan the way she celebrates all the music she likes, whether she has like a biographical connection to it or not. And so her Dirty South song, just like very like, you know, the big hit, right? yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or her salsa song, you know, I like it like that. Celebrating and mixing up different types of music just because she loves them and she's passionate about them, which is, I think, what makes it such a utopian album, that it's a celebration of all the different traditions that she brings into her music. And let's actually hear the Dirty South song, uh, Bickenhead. Pardon me. Wow. I'm new and I'm hardly. There's a vision in my vision. That bitch is a target. Lawyer is a two. He gon' chew up all the charges. No matter if you fuck with me, I get money regardless. And number two was Casey Musgraves' Golden Hour. And Casey got nominated for a bunch of Grammys. She may have a very big night at the Grammys. And this is a, a pretty non-radical album. It's just a bunch of beautiful songs sung beautifully. Uh, for Casey, it's kind of a step forward in the sense that it's, it's her least country album. It's her most pop album. There's something like, something like Oh, What a World. I think that's the one that starts out with like vocoder type effects in the voice, which is radical only in the world of a country singer, <laughs> but like completely unradical for, you know, anyone else. You know, I've, I've actually been kind of uh, making the case for this album all year, even on this show, but I'd be curious if anyone else has, uh, has something to say about it. Yeah, I think all of Casey's discography has been really strong, but I think this one was the most experimentation that she's done. Um, High Horse being kind of like this like fun disco pop song. I think she really just wanted to play with her own kind of persona in a lot of ways and really test the limits of what it means to be a country star right now, especially for a woman in country where country does not 
respect or want to let the women that are in the genre really speak for themselves on radio on the charts and so she was like i'm just gonna have some fun with this and make a really just kind of fun pop album casey also when i spoke to her about the album she explicitly said kind of what simon was saying about addressing the times because she is sometimes a political artist she felt that there's value in just making something of beauty that is provides a little escapism and and provides maybe a vision of a you know a better world but simon i think you're gonna say something Yeah, well, I think what Casey did with this album, she made her sound bigger, poppier, shinier, and at the same time made this feel like her most personal and intimate album. And that's a really hard needle to thread. A lot of pop stars try that and can't quite nail it. And I think, you know, Casey really did it. Yeah, it's a it's almost a concept album about kind of like the joy of her like new love with her husband and and such. Uh, But let's hear Oh What a World before we move on. Open your mind. Things that swim. So number three, uh, Camilla Cabello. Camilla, we, we've spoken uh, a lot about this album and about her. We've, and we'll continue uh, to. And we'll continue to. <laughs> again, uh, we did an entire episode about her and the album. But, you know, it, it just, I think it's one of those ones that kept rising in people's estimation even after its release. It's just really, really solid. And there's a lot going on. And, and you've been listening to it the whole time, I think. Yeah, I think that when it comes to breaking away from a pop group, and especially with the sort of year of experimentation that she had with what her solo sound would even be, I think to make something that was as eclectic as this album is, but also really cohesive, really strong, really fun, and feels like a really good reflection of her taste and of who she is. And, you know, being just like a young pop star experimenting with sounds, I think she sounds great on it vocally and it's a it's a really fun album. Number four is Pistol Annie's Interstate Gospel. And Pistol Annie's is a supergroup. Miranda Lambert, Ashley Monroe, and Angelina Presley from Country. And it, it's, uh, we should hear Got My Name Changed Back, if we can, just to get a sense of that. It takes a judge to get married, it takes a judge to get divorced. Well, the last couple of years, spent a lot of time in court. Got my name changed back. There's definitely no doubt it's country music, but this really great songwriting, great harmonies. Why was this so high on the list? Simon shrugged. It's just good. It's, well, uh, it's, it's just a, great, and uh, the, the critics on our staff love this album. It's just a fantastic album. Also, I love how being country gives them a license to be rock and roll without being embarrassed about being rock and roll. So this is an album that has fantastic guitar solos and fantastic drum solos and all the sort of cliches of rock and roll that actual, like, you know, supposedly marketed as rock and roll bands are afraid to do. Got My Name Changed Back is fantastic, just in terms of there's a lot of guitar, a lot of rage. It's a fast song. It's an angry song. It's a funny song. It's kind of got everything in it. Number five was Ariana Grande's Sweetener, which we just talked about for practically an entire episode that was supposed to be about the year in pop, but it ended up being a lot about Ariana Grande. Maybe we'll just move on because we just, just go go listen to thank that Thank you, episode. next. Yeah. Are you yeah, thank you. We're saying thank you next to that one, which is a song that's not on the album. Uh, Travis Scott, Astroworld. And we did just talk about Travis Scott, but there's always more to say. He's on our new cover. This is, uh, it's, it's, I guess, the second highest hip, hip hop uh, album on, the, on our ratings. Brendan, make a case for, for Astroworld. So obviously, you'd step forward for Travis. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Travis, up until now, has kind of been decried as this like guy who takes a lot of uh, hip hop pastiches and like puts them in a nice little box for the teens to listen to. 
Um, and this album kind of made the case that like what he's been doing isn't really this reinterpretation of like what Kanye did in 2013, but like he's like a master functionalist. He's always making albums that sound best played really loud at a party or better at a live show for him, really, because that's kind of his like true venue of expression. And despite that, this like one sounded a little more restrained than you would have thought, like Astroworld's coming out. Travis Scott's known as this guy who gets people to jump off of balconies at his shows. And it's this like obviously maximalist portrait work but it's also like a kind of touching ode to Houston and like his childhood and like what he always wanted from music I think it's it's a, just a great album and it has sickle mode on it which is um you know yeah. also also pretty good song <laughs> you, you, probably could have re- you, could, you probably could have reduced all that to it has sickle mode on it but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know I'm, but it, it, there's a tremendous amount of like new dimensionality coming yeah. out to him on this album inevitably let's hear sickle mode I tried to show yeah, 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 yeah. Gone on you with the pick and roll. Younger flame here in sickle mode. All right, we, the problem with a multi-part song is you only get like <laughs> one third of the impact with a quick sample. It was, but, it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, number seven is uh, Pusha T's Daytona, which we've talked about before. Twenty-one minute, kind of perfect little album. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a perfect album, which is a strange thing not to be at number one, but it is only seven tracks and it is just about selling drugs. But it's just Pusha T doing what Pusha T has always done, which is like rap better than everyone else. And then it was the only like really great output from Kanye this year, where he was like pulling out samples again and just making these like eight or 16 bar loops and then they worked perfectly together um so it's just this little little diamond of an album i love it i just want to speak up and push his defense it's not just about selling drugs <laughs> it's also about having really expensive watches and how drake is hiding yeah, a child how drake, yeah. drake is hiding <laughs> so a it child. has at least three subjects well so. adonis is not <laughs> talked about on this one he just sent some shots on infrared <laughs> that's true do we have uh, infrared ready all right let's hear that again the game's fucked up, niggas beats is banging, nigga, your hooks did it. The lyric pinning equal to Trump's winning. The bigger question is how the Russians did it. It was written like Nas, but it came from Quentin at the mercy of a game with the codes. It is amazing that despite the year that Kanye had, he still is in some way represented in our top ten. It's kind of, you know. As long as he's not actually... Talking, talking yeah he's right. great <laughs> it's hard to slip in your maga bias into your beats yeah it's you like, can't put a red hat on the beat <laughs> he's tried but yeah uh and number eight is an album that britney hates uh, lady <laughs> lady gaga and bradley cooper which even just i know we're all used to that but like seeing those names together as the makers of an album is still kind of like the words president donald trump it still like just seems crazy to me but yes the known duo lady gaga and bradley cooper a star is born soundtrack and and britney never listens to it and despises never. Yeah, I haven't heard a song from it. Yeah. <laughs> Not listening to it all the time. You, I hear the movie's really good, though. Yeah, the movie, I don't know. You <laughs> I keep to, meaning to go see it. <laughs> my joke was that it has both kinds of music, like alt-country and, and pop-bops. But, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, it's, Although, it's, it's anti-pop-bops. It's, anti- yeah. it's, but, it's like, alt-country, come save us from pop-bops. <laughs> like, it's, it, it's a fantastic sort of, like, parallel universe, alternate timeline of music where, like, nothing ever happened, like, after 1996. You know, it's, it's sort of the man in the high castle, but... You know, what if, like, what if the Horde tour turned out to be the most important thing that happened in music in the 20th century? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we've gone over this. Trying to place the Bradley Cooper character in any kind of context of someone who could play arenas in, in 2018 is just that way madness lies. Like, don't don't go there. Um, but, 
you know, make a case for the album, Brittany. And I know part of it is that the bops that are possibly supposed to be bad are actually good. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think especially after the last couple of Gaga albums, and I think she, for some reason, found more of her voice in playing a fake character than she did in trying to find herself in the, her last couple of albums. I think the songwriting's great. I think it's super fun. I think Bradley Cooper, for some reason, sounds really good on it. <laughs> I mean, because he like is doing a Sam Elliott voice, but like it sounds great. Um, and I think it's just like a really fun, perfect soundtrack for the film, and it's easy to listen to outside of the film, as I do every day. <laughs> I mean like weirdly yeah I mean you know maybe it's time to let the old ways die that's one of the great uh, lyrics and most sort of like apropos lyrics of 2018 and you know it's not like it wasn't written in the, in the ether it was written by Jason Isbell who's a great songwriter so it's not like some kind of weird freaky miracle that there's great lyrics in it but mm -hmm. nonetheless like one of the greatest Jason Isbell lyrics ever mm -hmm. comes from the lips and you have some Diane Warren, yeah. you yes. have a lot of the, you have Mark Ronson worked on Shallow, you have um, Hillary Lindsay who worked with, has worked with like Big Time, or um, Big Little, Little Big Town or whatever and a bunch of country artists and, you know, a lot of great songwriters worked with Gaga and even Bradley Cooper co-wrote some. Yeah, the, so, something I love about this album is, is the full committee of pros who like <laughs> sit down to make music that refutes the idea that music should be made by the committee of pros so that you have like, you know, four people, you know, Mark Ronson, like a whole team of experts sit down to, to write Shallow by committee, a song that is designed to sound like she's making it up in a parking lot, like <laughs> at four in the morning when she's drunk. And, and you have Diane Warren, one of the most nominated Oscar yes. songwriters writing, why does your ass look so good in those jeans? <laughs> Uh, Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. And let's maybe hear the uh, the ass like that song. Why did you do that? Yeah, which I was I was I. Somewhere Will I Am has to be watching that and going, what? It's a, it's a good beat. <laughs> Number nine, Kurt Vile, Bottle It In. And it's a very good Kurt Vile album. And it's, other than Bradley Cooper, it's the only sort of like white guy rock type of thing in our, in our top 10. Kurt Vile is, again, very good at being Kurt Vile. Simon, I know you're a fan. Yeah, this is a, I would say this is not just a very good Kurt Vile record. This is a great Kurt Vile record. It's an album full of amazing guitar solos, weird lyrics, strange jokes, uh, incredibly catchy melodies. It's just a, a great performance from uh, an original guy. You know, he used to be in the band War on Drugs. He is, in my opinion, better than the band War on Drugs. How would you describe his his overall vibe? Uh, it's this sort of like shaggy, psychedelic Philadelphia indie rock thing. It sounds a little bit like Neil Young. Sometimes it sounds a little bit like The Grateful Dead. Sometimes it sounds like Sonic Youth. Uh, all those influences kind of mashed up into kind of long form guitar jams. It's just like stoner, like stoner music in the in the best sense. It's definitely great to listen to if you're stoned, for sure. <laughs> I, I would imagine also made in that in that vibe as well. Although no, he he, he is not uh, he he's not confirmed that. Are you kidding me? That's that's a mystery. All right, let's let's hear uh, Bass Ackwards. I was on the beach, but I was thinking about the bay. Got to the bay, but by then I was far away. 
I was on the ground looking straight into the sun. He called the song Bass Ackwards and then put a bunch of backward stuff in the, in the song. So he definitely wasn't high when he came up with that. <laughs> uh, and number 10 is Drake Scorpion. We've talked a ton about that all year. I think maybe we can move on. And we just talked about what's And then number 11, Paul McCartney, Egypt Station. And I've tended to be a skeptic uh, uh, sometimes about like latter day Paul McCartney. There are at least two people in the room who are going to like beat me up for <laughs> saying that. But at least I come in skeptical. But there's tremendous energy and, and creativity uh, and vitality in, in, the, in this record. It, it's pretty impressive, honestly, I have to admit. Is this the best of his sort of of the at least the decade, Rob, or, or where would you place it? That's a good question. I, I, I don't know what you'd say, Simon. It seems like since Chaos and Creation in the Backyard, which is a real turnaround. I mean, he'd, he'd been making good records for a few years since that, like before that point. But that's that's one where he really just started to like make Paul McCartney records without like thinking of them in terms of of the charts and really everything he's done since that record you know Nigel Godrich had such an influence on him but everything he's done since then has been of a uniformly stellar quality so i don't even know if this is necessarily better than new which was a fantastic record it's it's better than memory almost full but you know a chaos and creation really turned it around. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been on an incredible roll the last 10 years. I would agree. I think you have to go back to chaos and creation, though, to find an album that hangs together as well as this and that has the highlights as high as this one. Um, it's full of just like, you know, great classic Paul McCartney songs there. It's sort of, you know, like fun acoustic songs. There's like a Brazilian samba song. Yeah. Uh, I actually love the song Fa You. I know this is like a much derided song. You know, the you, one that, you've gotten me to like that one. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad I stuck with it this on is, your say <laughs> This is the song that he, uh, he co-wrote uh, with Ryan Tedder, big pop producer. This is basically Paul McCartney's attempt to make a Taylor Swift song. And bizarrely, it works. It's so catchy. It's totally shameless and kind of corny and a little uncomfortable. But it's so much fun and, and I love that song. We're at number 12, Brandy Carlisle. Brandy Carlisle's Brandy Carlisle is a really good singer-songwriter who's been around for a while and has assembled kind of a, a really strong cult following. And this feels like a, a breakthrough. And I think it's it's really interesting to have a breakthrough. We, we put her on like our artist to watch list in 2006 or so. And it, it's it's kind of interesting and refreshing to have an artist make their breakthrough record 10 years after like their major label debut. It doesn't happen that much anymore. Do we have a fan of it here? Do we have anyone to talk about it? Or I'll just talk about it. We should probably play something like The Joke from that album. And uh, let, let's hear that and then we'll move on. I know Britney's a fan of her film work. Yes. Her Roy Orbison <laughs> cover. With your quiet voice and impeccable style And number 13 is Janelle Monet, Dirty Computer. Brittany wrote a great cover story about Janelle, and it's it's interesting because it, it, it probably was shooting for the number one slot. It was definitely her shooting for her masterpiece. I don't know if she hit masterpiece, but it, it's probably her best album and a really strong album, and has aged mm -hmm. pretty well over the past, like, whatever, it's 10 months. Yeah, definitely her poppiest album and her most personal. I think she's left the characters behind and left behind a lot of the 
the sort of like Android kind of concept album. And this is still a concept album, but I think it's definitely a lot more personal lyrics. Janelle's just like we talk about how like we were talking at the beginning about like people still making albums that are statements. And this is like you're watching someone every time she comes out with an album, she's trying to make an magnum opus. Like she's trying to like hit this wildly ambitious like artistic Mm -hmm. statement. I don't listen to this album anymore like as an as an album but i'm like so glad that it exists as mm-hmm. like a, a thing that someone put out into the world it's a little bit like that zoolander line <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I don't, about sting but yes i, I know yeah. i know what you mean what, what, what line? it's like it's like uh, i'm a big fan of sting not his actual music just the fact he exists <laughs> <laughs> but yes. i mean <laughs> but even so we know what you mean i mean i think arch android had some some better songs but uh i think this was like one of those things where like everyone stopped and like took this one in in, in a way that you don't really expect to be, keep doing, but like people keep coming back with these ambitious statement albums. Yeah, and some great and wacky guest artists like having Brian Wilson and Grimes and Zoe Kravitz all on the same album is fun. Let's hear Django Jane before we move on. Yeah, yeah, this is my palace. Champagne in my chalice. I got it all covered like a wedding band. Wonderland, so my alias is Alice. And we gonna start a motherfucking pussy riot. So number 14 is Mitski's Be the Cowboy, and Mitski's just incredible, and it kind of, she's, I think, the first person on this list to speak to the fact that a lot of the, the great and relevant rock was made by women uh, this year, and she's so sophisticated in her arrangements and her harmonies, and, and just um, has an incredibly tight bond with her fans, and is great at making soundscapes. There's moments when like a horn section leaps in and she just really knows what she's doing in, in, a, in a way that's, that's really cool. Yeah, I think I, I've always really liked Mitski, but I think this was the album that really completely sold me on her and sold me on her talent. I think, I think there's been a lot of experimentation with more like a glossier sound for a lot of people this year and a lot of just like a lot more like pop leaning, more just kind of bigger sound from all these artists who are kind of leaving behind, especially if they had a more intimate sonic past. I think for Mitski, this album just felt really big in a lot of ways that she hasn't sounded before. Let's hear uh, Nobody by Mitski. So I open the window to hear sounds of people to hear sounds of people And number 15 is uh, J Balvin. Simon, why did this album make the list? Well, you know, Jay Belvin, one of the biggest stars in reggaeton, uh, he showed in late 2017 that he can make a huge pop hit single with Mi Gente, the song he did with Beyonce. Uh, this year, he showed that he can also make an incredibly uh, tight, cohesive pop album. Uh, this album, Vibras, is just full of so many different uh, sounds and styles that he glides between effortlessly. It's another one of those albums you can just put on and you know, almost put on shuffle and, and have just a, a completely enjoyable experience. Number 16 is Soccer Mommy's Clean, which uh, we... Uh, interviewed Sophie Allison, who is Soccer Mommy, on the show uh, last year. And it's it's just another super great rock album that happens to be by a young woman. It's really interesting to hear kind of her influences, especially as like a, a young person listening to like Taylor Swift and Avril Lavigne. You can hear that, but also a lot of indie rock and Liz Fair and stuff. And it's, it just really works. And in another era, she might be super mainstream and, and in fact still might be in this era in a few years you, you never know but we should hear something like still clean so 
So 17, Lucy Dacus, historian. This is her, I think, second solo LP. What an incredible songwriter. Lucy Dacus has such a sharp perspective and such a, that really shines on this album. I think the, the song that really uh, amazed people this year was Night Shift. I don't know if we can play that. We can in a minute, but keep talking. Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I mean, she, she put out a great album, Lucy Dacus, in 2016 that I liked a lot, a really good debut, but she really leveled up in every way on, on this album. Um, just an incredibly uh, immediate songwriting uh, that you know, sort of really grabs you by the lapels and makes you listen. So we have that songwriting list here. I mistakenly called them by your name I was let down, it wasn't the same I'm doing So I think next is, yeah, Vince Staples, FM, one of my favorite albums of the year, and another super short, super tight, kind of perfect hip-hop album. We talked a little bit about Vince Staples actually a few times this year, but... We call it his slightest album, and yet it's still really good. Well, his last two albums, you have uh, Summertime 06, which is kind of this like maximalist, like it's it's very long, all produced by No ID, kind of his like real artistic entrance, um, but it's a big album. And then he comes out with Big Fish Theory just uh, two years ago. And that one kind of feels like Vince Staples in really, really experimental mode. He kind of does this thing that um, it's almost like he found beats that no one else could rap over and then rapped over them to prove that he was a better rapper than everyone else. <laughs> and I loved it. Um, it was a lot of like weird burial-esque, like London, like early 2000s dance music, but slightly more regular beats. And then you have Vince Staples rapping about it, rapping about death over them. And it was um, quite a project. And then this year he comes out with a new album and it's just straight West Coast head nodding, big, beats and he's having a lot of fun the record lasts like 20 minutes but it's all of it's really great there's nothing to skip i can't imagine you wanting to skip anything um and it's just like his most concise album and let's hear outside from vince staples yeah all day i'm round your way sk come out let's play draco and number 19 is the uh, Philly, I think, indie rock band Hopalong uh, with Bark Your Head Off Dog. Who wants to make the case for that one? I love the, that album. It feels like a Simon. <laughs> How did you know? Um, yeah, no, that's one of my, my favorite albums this year. Um, Hopalong are an incredible band. Their songwriter and lead singer, Francis Quinlan, is a really remarkable songwriter with an incredibly distinct and unusual lyrical voice. Uh, really only ever sounds like herself. Um, they made one of one of my favorite albums of the last 10 or even 20 years in 2015 with an album called Painted Shut that really raised the bar for uh, just really uh, well-crafted indie rock. This year, they interestingly tried to sort of leapfrog past that. This is the album they made in 2018, Bark Your Head Off, Dog. It swerves in all kinds of different directions. There's a, a song that sounds kind of disco. Uh, there's a, There are string arrangements. There's a lot going on in this album, uh, and they really pulled it off. I think it's it's one of the most ambitious albums of the year, and it really hit its mark in a, a really satisfying way. Let's hear how you got your limp, if we can. Avoiding as best as one And number 20 is The Beths, Future Me Hates Me. Is there anyone besides Simon who wants to make a case for that one? <laughs> All right, then I guess we're stuck with Simon. Uh, yeah, The Beths are a great band. Uh, they're from New Zealand. They make uh, really kind of 
traditionalist 90s indie rock that is incredibly fun to listen to. Their hooks are amazing. Their songs are fast and catchy and fun. New Zealand indie rock. There you go, yeah. The Beths, not the Bats, but filed right. next to each other in many, many, many record collections. It was a great year for indie rock. It was indeed. And then let's jump around since we, that was our top 20. And I don't know that we're going to have time to do every one of the remaining 30, but we'll just jump around in no particular order. Number 27 is No Name. Room 25. She's incredible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So No Name uh, is this like kind of quiet person. She uh, doesn't really like do too much except when she releases an album and then you listen to it for, I, I think her current streak is you'll listen to your albums for years. Um, she came out with Room tw- or Telephone in t- 2015, um, which was her kind of like debut album. She'd worked with Chance the Rapper and was like on the Chicago scene. And it's this like delightful slice of life piece of hip hop where she, her rapping style is really, really personable. Um, it's bordering on spoken word, very conversational. And she kind of arrived as a savant and then took a couple years off, which in rap is unusual right now. Uh, everyone drops every year. And for her to come back with something that's like darker, more insular she's not playing to anybody but her core fans here and it made for like an even more impressive artistic statement and the production is just crazy and super musical there's all these live instruments and like a lot going on yeah so i talked to her this year she basically um she recorded the first album and then moved to la right after it came out thinking like i'll work with some producers in la like start to like get the feel for the music scene and she hated it and then ended up just kind of flying out the musician she worked on for her first album they got a house together and uh basically put this together in like a like the the bones of it in a month that's crazy it doesn't sound like it let's hear don't forget about me by no name your family looking like a prison your mama at the table crying all her heck on feeling fishy finding camel smoking seaweed for calm these Disney movies too close Your title email, no name Thank you for your sweet telephone It saves lives we did the top 20, and now we're kind of just jumping around the rest. Number 45 is Robin's comeback. I, God, it's been eight years mm-hmm. with Honey. Brittany, I know you're a fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was interesting to see what happened in the eight years since we got the Body Talk series from Robin, because every pop star imitated everything she did with that series. I think everyone sort of has attempted Robin, but no one can do Robin quite like she can. And I think with Honey, she came back with something that's really understated, didn't go overboard, didn't do anything too excessive, much like a lot of her past albums. I think she it's really just fun. It's really emotional. It's just like a lot of sad, but upbeat, fun dance songs that you can cry to, but also dance to, which is great. And I mean, it's just a really solid work. It sounds like this album, she spent a lot of time listening to Taylor Swift's 1989, like <laughs> which was the album where Taylor Swift was obviously listening to a lot of Robin. <laughs> and so like the sort of back and, and so like Robin songs, like on this album, they've gotten like a lot weepier and slower and it's just a real it's really different from what she was doing with the body talk yeah. stuff it's really kind of like a remarkable record and if we can hear pretty much anything from that record we'd be good if you got something to say I need to hear it. act we've talked about a bunch last year is uh, number 26 snail mail's lush Lindsay Jordan, 18 years old and total prodigy and just a, another great rock album that, again, as with pretty much all the rock albums on our list, would happen to be made by, uh, by a woman. 
And I think our entire top, like our top five is, is all women, which is cool. I think we re- realized that after the fact. And there was a Lil Wayne album this year and we put it on the list. There was. Um, he's back after a really, really long time in label purgatory. Um, and the thing about this album is it's like just surprising that it works. It's a it's a really, really solid Wayne album. And um, it's just one of those things that like there were a couple albums this year where like you hear that someone's coming with an album and you, I think hmm, that's probably not going to be very good. <laughs> and this one, Swizz Beats had another one where they these guys came in and like didn't try and make an album that sounded like 2018. It's an album that sounds like Lil Wayne and just kind of compresses a bunch of different stages from his career. A lot of these records were from a couple years ago and rap ages badly quickly. It moves fast. But these a lot of these songs like sound really good right now. Um, and it's just kind of a testament to like Lil Wayne being Lil Wayne. And a lot of this like gets old on sheer force of personality and the fact that he can still wrap circles around almost anyone else in the world. And there's a track, Mona Lisa, where he goes up against Kendrick, which is, uh, of course, nice to hear. So pretty, and they had lifted, he hit it and sleep on her titties. And she give us the worry, come through with it, cages to stick up, she scream like a victim, like you. Feeling so silly, I smoke color purple, I'm up in here feeling like silly. Ooh, nappy as dress, what's that you say? At number 41 is Amanda Shire's To the Sunset. It's an interesting sort of counterpoint to the Casey Musgraves album because it's another sort of country-ish singer-songwriter doing some very different stuff and some of it has a a really cool sort of homemade almost uh, garage rock feel to it and that that's it's it's Amanda Shires to the sunset and should not be slept on. Number 40 is Parquet Court's Wide Awake. They team with Danger Mouse. Again Simon's a big fan of the album. I I was really struck by like the lyrics which are, are super political they sing better than they read, I would say. Yeah, parquet courts are woke now. It's great. Um, they, they have a song on this where they, they talk about hating the NFL. They have a song about police brutality. They have songs about climate change and structural racism. It's like going to a DSA meeting, but there's a guy playing guitar. It's great. <laughs> Simon thinks that's a good thing, just to be clear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, that's it. Yeah. Do they have, maybe they have guys playing guitars at some DSA meeting. No, they I just... think if you go to the one that the guy from parquet courts is at, probably. Okay. <laughs> What's up, Brittany? Say something about Cupcake, which is number 50 real fast, and then we'll end the show. Yeah, she released two albums last year. We have Eve for Eyes on the on the list, which is fantastic. I think she's just a really fun, brilliant lyricist. I think she makes like really raunchy, great stuff that sounds, you know, doesn't sound too over the top, but it's also just like she's such a great rapper. It makes it really effective um, and really excellent beats. And I think she's she's proving herself to be one to really, really watch. This has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. Thanks to Simon Vozik Levinson, Bernie Spanos, Brendan Klinkenberg, and Rob Sheffield. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's volume, channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcast. Maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes. And in the meantime, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Do we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.